Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 26. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, Your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember parts of my fifth birthday really well. I'm sure I don't have all the details, but I do remember for certain that I had chicken pox. All of my celebrations were in isolation, mostly because nobody wanted a chicken pox outbreak as one of their birthday party favors that year. I'm sure we had gifts and cake as a family together, but I remember a really unique part of the celebration where my mother, I think she made cupcakes, I'm pretty sure it was cupcakes, and we were going to go deliver them to my preschool class. And we were going to go to the park because it was close to the summer, and that's what the class was doing that day. They were spending the day out at the park. And so we roll up in the 1973 flame red Buick Century, and I stay in the car with the windows up as my class started singing happy birthday to me, and I danced in my seat reveling in their obligatory attention, all the while wishing like crazy that I could join them for cupcakes in the park. But alas chicken pox. I don't get as excited about birthdays as I did when I was five. Honestly, I get more excited about days like Easter now, specifically because the focus is not on me, but I still get to help throw a party. And I have to admit, though, this year's Easter preparations feel a whole lot like my fifth birthday. It's not that celebrations aren't happening. It's just that everybody is stuck watching through the window of a 1973 Buick Century. Actually, we tried to have a celebration where people could watch through the windows of their cars at sunrise this morning, but we couldn't even do that. And so our computers and our mobile devices become our proverbial Buicks. And we're trying to do our best to fill our time with songs and to imagine what it would be like to have cupcakes with our friends in the park. But alas, things are really different this year, and the celebrations may feel a bit muted. The celebrations or Christ's resurrection haven't always been joyful spring gatherings that we picture in our Rockwellian imaginations. It was just back in 2018 when Easter was celebrated on April 1st with a full-on snowstorm across major parts of Illinois. That felt like a horrible April Fool's prank. The first Easter did not begin as a full-on celebration either. 
Even though Jesus gave everyone who would listen lots of hints about what was coming, it didn't stop the sadness or the confusion that filled his followers when the day began. See, Jesus was good at foreshadowing, like the producers of Tiger King showing big cat activist Carol Baskin saying, if I were going to, you know, if somebody wanted to kill you, they would put sardine oil all over you right before revealing that her second husband had gone missing, never to be found. That's good foreshadowing right there. Even though Jesus had foreshadowed his intentions and the powerful outcome to his followers in countless different ways, it took a little bit for the traumatized disciples to get themselves into celebration mode. Jesus gave us some great resurrection foreshadowing. It wasn't long before his own death that Jesus offered some powerful evidence of who he is and what he can do. More specifically, what he can undo. That leads to our first lesson this morning. Jesus will undo our heartbreak. Jesus will undo our heartbreak. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. This lesson could have been, Jesus will unbreak our hearts, but I know what an earworm that 1996 Tony Braxton slow jam is, so I wanted to spare you of that, and you're welcome. I was talking with Tamara Cauldron Spudich on Facebook Live for a presentation we were doing early on in this sheltering-in-place experience because I wanted to learn from some of her wisdom and from her background as a clinical social worker. We were talking about grief and some of the expressions of grief according to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her research. There's denial, bargaining, anger, depression or sadness, and eventually acceptance. What we read Martha doing here is part of grief's bargaining. And that bargaining can often start with, if only. If only I'd noticed this symptom sooner. If only I'd been more forceful in taking those keys. If only I'd asked how he was doing. If only she hadn't been in such a hurry. If only. If only. It's a trick we play on ourselves to feel like we could have been in control of a situation that confronts us with the cold reality that we are not in control. Bargaining can also look like a plea for God, someone or something, to act in exchange for something from us. God, if you make this stop, I promise I'll never miss church again. If you bring her back, I promise I'll give up drinking. If you make him well, I promise I'll be better. Bargaining could look like an attempt at an exchange, but it can also replay different time machine scenarios in an attempt to give us some sense, make some sense of our pain. Martha was there when Lazarus died. Jesus, if only you had been there. There's probably some truth to that. As one of Jesus' close friends, she probably saw with her own eyes some of the miracles and healings that Jesus had worked. If Jesus had rushed to Lazarus' side, he might have stopped death from advancing and the family wouldn't face the trial that they're currently facing right now. And Jesus isn't unfeeling. He knew that. In two references to Jesus crying in Scripture, one is where he cries over Jerusalem and the other is when he cries with this heartbroken family. Jesus wasn't there to stop death from claiming Lazarus but he was there now. And he's going to reveal a power stronger than the power to contain illness. 
He's going to plant joy and well-placed hope in the hearts of the heartbroken. And he does that for us, too. Jesus doesn't always hold back the things that may hurt us. But sometimes it's so we can take our uneasy hands and walk us into a deeper experience of his power, of who he is. He moves us beyond the superficial smiles of a fair-weather faith and plants joy and hope into our real, hurting hearts. That leads to our second lesson. We're invited to a belief that gives us hope. We're invited to a belief that gives us hope. Jesus told Martha, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Bill Bernbach helped to develop a creative revolution in advertising in the 1960s. If you ever watched the television show Mad Men, the actual historical person of Bernbach was name-dropped as a competitor to and inspiration for the creative advertising style of the fictional Sterling Cooper. Instead of focusing on the straightforward factual advantages of one product over another, he emphasized the offbeat and interesting parts of a, a product in order to gain attention. And then once he gained the audience attention, once they were listening, the goal was then to persuade them to purchase. Persuasion, he claims, is more art than science. He's responsible for advertising characters like the fictional Juan Valdez. And if you happen to know that Juan Valdez represents the coffee growers of Colombia, then Bernbach has done his job well. He tried to appeal to the principles of people he hoped would connect with the product he was trying to promote. And he's remembered for a fairly memorable quote. A principle isn't a principle until it costs you something. A principle isn't a principle until it costs you something. In the narrow scope of advertising, that means that principles would lead to purchases. The something an appeal to our principles would cost us is money. But that st statement obviously has a wider application. A principle isn't a principle until it costs us something. Martha believed in something that was right. She had a proper understanding of the order of things based on what Jesus taught. She believed her friend Jesus to be a powerful healer. She believed there would be a day when the resurrection, where everybody would be raised to stand before God. And to this point, those beliefs probably cost her some hospitality. It would cost her some humility, some gifts to support Jesus' ministry, and perhaps a little ridicule from the people in Jerusalem who really didn't like Jesus and his followers. These are investments she made in her principles. But Jesus wanted to help transform her faith from a theoretical rhetorical faith to one that has something more at stake. He tells her the resurrection isn't a distant time or an event that's passively going to happen someday. Resurrection and life is a person a friend and teacher that's standing right before her? Does she really believe that Jesus is the power over life and death? Is she willing to stake the hope of her beloved brother's life on that belief? To hope in the midst of grief is a great big cost, and the risk is high if things don't work out. Wounds compile and our heart's protective walls get even thicker if we're hurt again. Scripture reading this morning ends before the crisis resolves, and I think that's part of the design of this passage. Jesus isn't just asking Martha if her principle is rhetorical and theoretical. He's asking if it's one that's truly costly. And that question is for each of us. It's good to believe right things. 
It's important to have a proper understanding of eternity based on what Jesus teaches. But our hope is not ultimately in the theoretical or rhetorical. The light of our lives isn't just in proper doctrine or in good practice. We're not brought into new life just by having a mental assent to orthodox notions about God. Our hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ, standing before us saying, I am hope in the middle of your hopelessness. I'm light in the middle of your darkness and healing in the face of sickness. I am standing with love against selfishness, greed, and pride. I'm kindness standing out in a field of cruelty. I'm abundant provision in the face of fear and scarcity. I'm comfort and companionship to those in pain and isolation. I'm justice for the oppressed and liberty for the captive. I am life that is true and abundant and eternal. Do you just think these things about me or are you willing to put your faith on the line and follow me into the valley of death's dark shadow to call forth life? Do you believe this? Jesus wept for the heartbreak he witnessed and the pain the people endured. But he told the people gathered there to roll the stone away from the mouth of his friend's grave anyway. And they did so against their protest because they did not want to release the stench of a corpse that had been decomposing for four days. And Jesus called the name of his friend, Lazarus, come out. And wrapped in the cloths of a dead man, a living Lazarus walked out of the grave. It wasn't dependent upon Martha's belief. Jesus had the power to call forth life from the grips of death, but when she witnessed what happened through the eyes of faith, she could more fully experience the true power at work in Jesus. Even though Martha, Mary, Lazarus, the disciples, countless onlookers witnessed Jesus execute sovereign power over life and death in that moment, they still acted like those without hope when Jesus was crucified on that fateful Friday when he breathed his last under hauntingly dark skies, and when his lifeless body was hastily placed in a borrowed tomb. They act like they hadn't seen Jesus go toe-to-toe with death before, and they crumbled and mourned. They grieved and scattered Thursday when he was arrested and tried. They grieved into Friday when he was sentenced and nailed to a cross, when they were mourning when the world collapsed around them on Friday afternoon and through the silence Saturday, but then Sunday, but then Sunday, but then Sunday. That's our third lesson. True, abundant, and eternal life calls your name. True, abundant, and eternal life calls your name. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. The season of Lent, we've been hearing a lot about the I am statements of Jesus that not only provide us with some helpful ways that we can understand how it is that we relate to Jesus of Nazareth, 
But also, it draws some pretty strong connections between Jesus of Nazareth and the God who introduced himself to the Hebrew people enslaved under Egypt as Yahweh. I am who I am. We get a lot of these references in the Gospel of John. To hear from Jesus who Jesus is meant to be for us is certainly powerful. But there's something I really like about the resurrection stories of Jesus in John's telling. Jesus doesn't really spend time telling people who he is once he's risen from the grave. That's been shown for those who have eyes to see it. But once he rises from the dead, he seems to focus on helping to open people's eyes to who they are in light of his resurrection. The fearful disciples are told that they are Holy Spirit-filled and sent to be dispensers of reconciliation. A retreating Simon Peter is told that his love for Jesus will translate into nourishing the people of God. And the once demon-possessed grieving woman from Magdala was called out by her name, Mary, and that was enough for her to recognize her beloved teacher. She would go from being a derided throwaway from Galilee to being the very first witness to tell the good news that Jesus had risen from the dead and that she had seen the Lord. Jesus called her name and gave her life brand new purpose. We know that Jesus Christ rose from the grave because her life had been redeemed by the power of grace. And maybe Jesus is calling your name today. I mean, maybe we've come to this live stream of an Easter worship service, a little like Mary came to the tomb that Easter morning with low expectations and some sorrow about our current circumstances. But maybe we'll find what we encounter is not just emptiness. Maybe if we're living with some disappointment right now, if we listen closely, we'll hear Jesus say, Beloved, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? If we listen closely, we'll hear the voice of Jesus rising above those voices of fear and shame and regret. Maybe you'll hear the voice of Jesus calling your name and inviting you with the full power of God who has conquered even death to know that victory has been won for you. And that same grave-defeating love that calls to you invites you to incredible purpose. If you've witnessed Jesus do something powerful, If you've found hope or forgiveness or restoration or healing or joy or courage, if you've found something good in Jesus, then you've got good news. And if the new YouTube channel from John Krasinski is any indication, the world desperately needs some good news right now. So share it. Jesus has called you to share it. And what we get to share is so wonderful and so simple. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for the opportunity to celebrate resurrection. Thank you for the chance to find our lives restored and redeemed. This moment of mourning brought forth into light. You are the God who makes the impossible possible. You are the God of hope. You are the God of healing. What a great opportunity you've given us to praise you. Fill our hearts with your joy. Fill us to overflowing with your love. And allow us to live each and every day as a celebration of the Christ who has defeated the grave and has won that victory for us. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.